When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step, no. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Tonight on the show, we've got a lot to discuss. We're going to get to Colorado, Nebraska. We're going to get to Alabama and Texas. We're going to get to what's going on at Ohio State. Oklahoma pulling out one late. And the only loss that I have taken in two weeks of picking games so far. But let's start with Coach Prime told us this was happening all along. What can you tell us about what we should expect from Colorado for the rest of the season? Plenty more of this, I hope. I don't think I stumbled or started when I told you we were coming. (laughs) Not (laughs) at all. We coming. Thank you, Coach. Bless you. Thank you. I, 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 I didn't stutter. I said we coming. Now, I've heard many people say after this 36-14 to win against Nebraska to open home field at Folsom that the Colorado is no longer coming. They're here. Nah, man, you already, you still, you still ain't figured this out. You still ain't understood what a man is working on, what Prime is working on. What he is working on is his own timeline. And you cannot put a ceiling on what Colorado is capable of this year. This program is fun as hell. It's so much fun to watch them play football, particularly in a game where for the first time, again, just the second game all year, we got to see the offense struggle and what it looks like for Shadour Sanders to sort of kind of struggle and not sort of kind of, he did struggle in the first half, right? Mostly in the first quarter, but we also got to see a defense that people had their doubts about after giving up 42 to Texas Christian show up in a truly meaningful way. So Let's start with Shadour Sanders, who I had as a Heisman finalist in December, and I thought had as a Heisman finalist last week, and I will have as a Heisman finalist going into week three because these numbers are stupid. 31 to 42, 393, three total TDs, two through the air. Outstanding play from him at the quarterback position when they needed him to come through most. They couldn't really run the football at all, right? And when the defense would come up with stops, he would try to get the ball to his playmakers. And while Travis Hunter had three catches for 73 yards, four tackles and a pass defended, just going to be a stat stuffer in that way. I'm really impressed with what Xavier Weaver was also able to do alongside Shadour Sanders had 10 catches for 170 yards and a TD. And his performance is much more indicative of the kind of Colorado team that I thought we were going to see. The way that I would get to that is Xavier Weaver transferred to Colorado after catching over 700 receiving yards and 53 passes at South Florida last year, but he did it as a graduate transfer. Now, one of the things that you have heard over and over again is that Colorado brought in 86 new players, and depending on who you talk to, 40 to 50 were transfers and all the guys that got shipped out. 
He turned the roster over. What you don't hear enough about is the quality and experience of the transfers that he brought over. Because so many of us get caught up in where these guys are coming from, Florida State, Clemson, Michigan. We can keep going, Arkansas. But I get caught up in how many of these guys are grad transfers and how many of these grad transfers started on offense or defense like Xavier Weaver. So Colorado had 14 of 22 starters on offensive defense being graduate transfers, which means they are not only guys that already have their degrees, but are also guys that have played a ton of football. So there's really a great reason for why a veteran football team is playing really good football. This is the greatest story in sports today, but the foundation has been laid and I've been trying to put people on game and people that listen to the show regularly have known for months that have always thought that Colorado was going to be good. And in a game where they didn't particularly play well, they still managed to put up 36, which means they're averaging 40 and a half points per game. And Shador Sanders is averaging 450 yards through the air a game. I keep hearing that Texas Christian is not that good. And then I'll hear Nebraska is not that good. What I don't hear is Colorado really is that good. Now, other things to take from this, including Nebraska turning the ball over, right? Now, on the one hand, Jeff Sims put the ball on the floor three times through an interception. On the other hand, Colorado forced four turnovers and three were forced fumbles. Now, you can tell me that you don't think that Jeff Sims played his best football. You'd be right. But it's really difficult for me to look at those dudes wearing that really nice black top and those really nice white pants and say that they weren't playing great football on the front seven. Remember, last week against Texas Christian, all we got to say was, man, that secondary is really good, especially with Travis Hunter back there and Shiloh Sanders. This week, the secondary was not very good, and the front seven were. Charles Kelly is getting that defense to really bend and not break and really play and run hard to the football in a way I don't think a lot of people expected. And frankly, when you've been able to beat a Coach Prime team, and it's only happened a handful of times now, you've been able to run the football. So watch Gabe Urban had a hard time running the ball. I was thinking that Colorado's going to have a shot there. And then the offense slowly began to find itself. Another thing to take note of here is we're already looking ahead, right? That's what else Colorado has done for us with this win against Nebraska. They have allowed us to look toward Colorado State in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. And then they travel to Oregon. And then they get USC at home. Can you imagine what the atmosphere would be like if Colorado somehow got past Oregon that struggled against Texas Tech and was undefeated when they host Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, and USC at Folsom on September 30th? I'm already giddy thinking about it, right? But assuming that Colorado covers the 21-point spread against Colorado State, we're already looking toward Austin and what that atmosphere is going to be like because I understand that they're going to sell out that game because every game that Colorado plays this year is an absolute event. I also thought, you know, there's a number of other stats to go through here that are just kind of eye-popping for me in Colorado and its win, but I'm just going to go ahead and point to we weren't counting as many snaps that Travis Hunter played today, but he played over 100 snaps again, guys. Like, he's just doing this. At one point, I'm even saying to myself, I'm going, surely they're not going to ask him to do this every single game. It'll be against ranked opponents or opponents that, you know, they're going to play on national television for whatever reason. No, they're just doing it. He's going to be out on the numbers. 
become defense or offense. That's just what Travis Hunter is going to do. And you can even see Shador Sanders trying to find him, trying to force the ball to him when he probably shouldn't be because you trust him that much. Same thing was true of Dylan Edwards. There are a number of times where I'm looking at Shador Sanders. I'm going, hey, you missed the open guy over there because you wanted to go with the football over here. The offense wasn't as in sync as I was used to seeing it last week and certainly wasn't running at the sort of tempo that we're used to seeing Colorado run with. But it's a great win for Boulder. It's a great win for Prime. And I'm just going to keep saying it. Don't put a ceiling on what they can do. Let us all enjoy this ride because I certainly am going to. All right. To the biggest game on the schedule this Saturday, that was Texas at Alabama. That's number 11, Texas at number three, Alabama. And yeah, Texas pulled off the upset 34 to 24. Fascinating and fun game. Let me get that off the rip. I really enjoyed watching these two Texas quarterbacks go at it. I think the world of Jalen Milrow, I have since he left Katie. I think the world of Quinn Ewers, especially the transformation that he's gone through with his body and his abilities, he doesn't look shook. Both of those guys throw a remarkably accurate deep ball, and it is really fun to see them throw darts down the field. But a couple things that we got to point to here. Alabama's offensive line had a difficult time blocking Texas's front seven. I don't think that many people, not name me, expected them to have a hard time blocking Texas's front seven. I don't tend to look at this as Alabama's offensive line as being bad. I tend to look at this as Texas's front seven being good. I understand you get five sacks to the quarterback. You have through two interceptions. You're going to have people talking about how bad the offensive line is. But I will say Jalen Milrow probably playing behind the same sort of offensive line that Jalen Hurts was playing behind in 2016. And both Jalen Hurts and Jalen Milrow had a tendency to just hold the ball. If the ball isn't gone after two claps and you still back there trying to figure it out, that's on you, quarterback. That's not on the offensive line. I say that as a quarterback. You got to get rid of the football. And when Jalen Milrow was able to get rid of the football, it was really fluid and it was really fun to watch. But you could also see why he was a starting quarterback at Alabama. He can move around and do things that other guys just can't do. He will make you right in the way that Bryce Young would make you right. He's just not as accurate and as polished as Bryce Young was in 2021, let alone 2022. But he's got time, and I think he's going to grow into the role. But even to take that much time to talk about what the Alabama offense was doing doesn't really do justice to what the Texas offense was doing every single time they had an opportunity to counter, right? There were moments in this game where Texas could have folded, and I thought that might they might. But Quinn Ewers kept staying calm, kept staying cool, kept following the process, right? They had some really fortunate bounces their way. I've never seen a quarterback sneak where the quarterback did not actually possess the ball. And not only that, it gets all the way to the tailbacks like, cool, I'll pick it up. I'll go get us the first down on fourth fourth down from our own 48, a, game, a, a play that could have swayed the game. And then the very next play, he throws a pass, gets bad in the air, Quinn Ewers, and he catches the ball and, may, and manages to get some forward progress on it. That was the moment when I'm also going, okay, if if anything told me Texas is going to win tonight, it was those two plays that went their way. He also looks sharp. 24 of 38 for 349, three TDs, zero interceptions. And this game went the way that I thought it would have went last year if Ewers was healthy last year in this game. Texas would have won. It even had Burt Auburn missing a field goal that absolutely mattered. So you got the one-to-one, and the game looks similar. The difference was Quinn Ewers played in this game in the second half, and he didn't in last year's, and you got a 10-point margin of victory on the road to show for it. 
been saying Texas is back. I haven't run from saying Texas is back. I picked Texas to win the Big 12. I'm an Oklahoma fan, all right? I'm doing this with my football brain, not my heart. Although, we're going to get to it. Oklahoma was doing something to my heart earlier tonight. We'll get to it. Stay with Texas, Alabama. We'll get to it. I'm saying all this to tell you that Texas is for real. Now, they're going to move up in my ranking, and I'm sure they're going to move up in the Associated Press Polls ranking, but I didn't have Alabama at number three in the first place. I thought that was an overreaction to a Middle Tennessee game that, frankly, many of the people that were voting did not watch, and that was why I felt good about my pick for Texas. I watched them against Rice, and I watched Alabama against Middle Tennessee because that's my job here. We do rankings on this show, and the only way that I can do rankings well is if I'm watching all top 25 teams or teams that could make the top 25 play football. 127 games were played, or 127 teams played games today. I had my eyes on a bunch of them. And that's why I'm confident in some of these things. And when I could see a guy like Jadavion Sanders showing out in the second half going, I'll carry us, get on my back, fellas. Five catches, 114 yards from the tight end position. Again, I can't be more impressed by the Texas defense with those five sacks and those two interceptions and really being able to seal the deal against an Alabama team that wanted to run the ball and on defense was flying around. They have some dudes in that defense. Uh, Terry and Arnold was as good as he was bad at times. They missed Caleb Downs and you could see where I saw how a freshman was integral to what they were doing on the back end. But every now and again, they'd have a guy like Dallas Turner turn around and make a play, right? I think Alabama is still going to be good, and I picked them to finish in the college football playoff because I thought they could lose this game, still make the SEC championship, and still get into the college football playoff based on the strength of that league and following the eye test. One of the things that I don't say enough about how we do these rankings and how we're looking at these games and how we evaluate teams off of a loss is it's not just what do they look like in pads or what does the talent composite tell us. It is, hey, if all things are going well for this team, do you trust them to beat the other team? So a great example of this is knowing that Georgia ain't played nobody, Paul, and knowing that Michigan ain't played nobody, Paul, if Georgia and Michigan lined up today, who do you think would win? That's how you should do your rankings, right? And if you can make yourself believe one way or the other, that is how you should do your rankings. Everybody knows who shouldn't be in the top 25. But when you go ask people to write it down, all of a sudden they get to lock up. Although. I'm going to have Texas inside of my top 10. I can already see that one coming. I'll be curious to see what the Associated Press does when we do this show on Sunday afternoon for you on Sunday afternoon. Great win for the University of Texas. Great win for Steve Sarkeesian, who becomes, well, I believe just the third Nick Saban assistant to beat him. And he did it in Tuscaloosa. Quinn Ewers did something that only Joe Burrow has done. In the last four years, that was a national championship team in LSU 2019. Outstanding win. Bama gets South Florida after this game, and Texas gets Wyoming, where they should be, I think, moved to 3-0 and and be very much feeling themselves going into the Big 12 schedule. Let's go to number 13, Oregon, holding off Texas Tech 38-30. to Oregon got a pick six late to seal the win. The Pac-12 remains undefeated. Now, we are also doing this show as Washington State and Wisconsin are still playing, but the point remains, I believe the Pac-12 was 16-0 at the time of this taping, which is remarkable and also ridiculous, but so was this game. Like, I watched as much of this game as I was watching Alabama-Texas play, 
And seeing Bo Nix operating, seeing Tyler Shuck operating, seeing how these run games were challenging each other. It was a lot of fun. And I'm frankly, Jones Stadium showed out to me. Like, I didn't know that Jones was going to show out in the way that they did tonight when the Oregon Ducks came to town. And frankly, I know Oregon's number 13 team in the Associated Press poll rankings, and they're ranked in my top 25. But I struggle with whether or not to make Texas Tech a top 25 program in the preseason. And then they lost to Wyoming, made that a little bit simpler. But it was not easy for me to pick Oregon to beat Texas Tech, and Tech showed you exactly why. I think this is only the second loss that Tyler Shuck has suffered in the 10 games he has played, started, and finished, which tells you a lot about him and winning time. I think they're going to be fine. I think they unlocked uh, a new achievement in getting Tyler Shuck out there running, actually using him, his legs and that extra man to go beat people. I think Tech is going to be a hard out in the Big 12 this year. It would not shock me to find out that Tech is in the Big 12 championship. But then again, I could say that about a Kansas team that absolutely dog-walked Illinois on Friday night. I, I think there are eight teams in the Big 12 that are capable of playing in that championship game. And Tech is certainly one of them. They should feel good, as good as you can after a loss, about how they acquitted themselves in this game because I think Oregon could also be in the Pac-12 championship game at the end and absolutely be playing for a spot in the college football playoff. All right, Ohio State took on Youngstown State and the number five team in the Associated Press poll acquitted themselves well. 35-7 in this game. Kyle McCord got the start at quarterback. He threw the ball seven times for 160 yards, two TDs to Marvin Harrison Jr. Because Marvin Harrison Jr. is just that dude. He's an absolute stud. Six to 18 was a lot of fun, but we saw a lot of six to 18 in this game. And we saw a lot of six trying to connect with 18 in the previous game. So Kyle McCord, 14 of 20 for 258 with three TDs. That's 70% completion percentage and over 250 yards passing. We saw more of Devin Brown uh, than we did last week, but we didn't see a lot more of Devin Brown. 7 of 13 for 101, no TDs, no picks. As much as I really want to take more from this game, what, what seems to be clear is that Ryan Day feels much more confident about Kyle McCord behind center than he does Devin Brown. Now, they get Western Kentucky next week, but after that, they got Notre Dame. So they need to know who the guy is by the end of next week, and I'm sure that Dave's probably always tried to get to this Western Kentucky game before he comes out and says it, although he might surprise me and say that on Tuesday when he does his media day. But right now, I thought it was Kyle McCord's job to lose. I still think it's Kyle McCord's job to lose. I still think that Ohio State's going to be a really great football team. And also... Point out to Jim Knowles, right? They held Youngstown State to seven. The Penguins, usually a very good FCS football team. We'll see what they look like this year. Uh, one more note that just was funny. I saw the picture of Jim Trestle walking around there in his red sweater vest, but what I also thought was funny is on one side he had Ohio State and on the other side he had Youngstown State. Now, this is funny because Jim Trestle, head coach at Ohio State, won national championship at Ohio State. He was also the president at Youngstown State. So I'm like, which one you go pick? He's like, I'm not picking either one. I'm picking them both, and I'll roll both sidelines. You know what? If you got it like that, Jim, you go out and you do it like that, Jim. Oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. No, no, no. You're not going to catch me picking a side. I got one on each pack, baby. <laughs> I love that. Let's go from Ohio State, stomping out Youngstown State 35-7 to Oklahoma, number 18 Oklahoma and Associated Press Poll, holding off Southern Methodist 28-11. All right, so positives here, positives. After 
Southern Methodist put together a 13-play, 76-yard drive to come within a field goal of Oklahoma in the fourth quarter. It's 14-11 in the fourth quarter to Southern Methodist at home. Then I get to see the Sooners that I expected to see all game. 75 yards in 10 plays. Dylan Gabriel finds Jaleel Farouk for a 21-yard touchdown that gave Oklahoma some breathing room. They eventually win this game 28-11, which is a hat. Really, yeah, it's a hook short of covering, right? 17, 17 and a half was the spread. Look, man, I never thought as an Oklahoma fan that there would be a day when I get to say we miss Gavin Freeman. But short of Andrew Anthony, I was I was I was questioning who's catching passes over here. Like, how does Dylan Gabriel have 176 pass yards before TDs? And then I gotta watch Tywee Walker actually put us on his back and do something about it, right? And I saw the defense do what the defense does, right? Give it up 11 after giving up zero last week. That's pretty good. But this is not what I expect from a team that expects to challenge Texas in the Cotton Bowl. In a few weeks' time, we can't have this. It's got to get better. I need to see better from Oklahoma. It's hard for me not to get emotional about this team because, frankly, this this entire job that I have at Fox starts with that team and starts this month. We're celebrating six years of making original college football content on this channel this month because Baker Mayfield planted a flag at Ohio State and your boy got up on a step mill to tell people about it. So when I talk about Oklahoma, I'm talking about a part of me. I'm talking about a part of me that walks around living and breathing that team as much as I live and breathe the team down the road, the University of Tulsa. So I'm harder on them than probably some others. But I also knew we ain't won no national championship since I was 13 damn years old. And that don't look like no team capable of winning no national championship. So you got me saying nice things about Texas. I don't want to say nice things about Texas, but Texas is that good. And that's what we talk about when we say credibility, right? Can you get past your fan bias? My fan bias with Oklahoma, I need you to be better. And I think they will be. I think they will be. I think they got a right scare from Southern Methodist. And then they get to travel to the University of Tulsa next week in the RJ Bowl, which I am probably going to melt right here on this show as we talk about that game because my nephew, Owen Ostrowski, plays defensive end vested in him. He had three tackles against Washington and a loss today. That game is probably going to tear me up and down because I know every single player on both of those rosters. Alma mater is the University of Tulsa grad school where I got to start doing this at the University of Oklahoma at the Daily. That's going to be a big deal for me, and we'll talk about it a lot next week. All right. The biggest upset of the day for me was not Texas over Alabama because I beat I, I picked Texas to beat Alabama, but Miami beating number 23, Texas A&M 48 to 33. I got to blame Texas A&M for destroying my perfect record. I was undefeated till I picked A&M to beat Miami and Miami fans have your pound of flesh. Come, come get your boy. I picked against you. I also didn't rank AM, but you don't care because I picked against you. And Miami showed out, right? They had this game at home. And frankly, I didn't know that Tyler Van Dyke was going to be able to do this once again because we saw this kind of play that he gave us against Texas AM, but it was two years ago when people were talking about him might be a first round pick. They changed the coordinators up, they get rid of Josh Gaddis, they bring in Sean Dawson, 
uh, and Shannon Dawson, excuse me. And all of a sudden we get 21 of 30 for 374 with five passing TDs from Tyler Van Dyke, which by the way, wild note here, Tyler Van Dyke became the first Miami quarterback in school history to throw five TD passes against a ranked opponent. That is really cool energy right there, man. I mean, Ken Dorsey wasn't doing nothing but handing the ball to the tailbacks, but I expected he might have thrown five TD passes against a ranked opponent. I thought maybe Bernie Kosar had done it back in the day. You know, maybe Jim Kelly. I keep going down the list of what I think are great Miami quarterbacks, although there were there's a lull in there. There's a lull in there. Basically, begins with Ja'Cory Harris and moves its way on up. But you get my point here. That's really rare air for him. Five different receivers created an explosive play for Miami that I'm calling an explosive play, a catch of 20 yards or more. And now that they have beaten A&M, Miami's next three opponents are Bethune-Cookman, Temple, and Georgia Tech. They could be 5-0 and by the time they got to travel to North Carolina, and I don't know if y'all noticed, but Appalachia State gave North Carolina everything they wanted earlier this afternoon. North Carolina was able to pull out a win in overtime, double overtime. But I'm saying Miami might be feeling themselves in regards to this ACC title because while y'all are all sold on Florida State, and Florida State is good, I don't think that Florida State is going to be able to run away with the ACC championship. And I think whoever is in the ring at the end of this in the ACC championship has an opportunity to win it. Like, it's just, I can't tell you far and away that Florida State is what say Clemson was in 2018. I don't think that's the that gap here. I think everybody is gettable in the ACC this year. Also, my goodness, 10 penalties for 112 yards for Texas A&M, three of nine on third down. That's just nasty. I mean, that's almost, no, actually, it's more nasty. Alabama had 10 penalties for 90 yards. A&M had 10 penalties for 112. More nasty. Connor White, uh, wait, excuse me, Connor Wigman had 31 of 49 for 336 with two TDs and a pick. I thought he played well. A couple things didn't go his way. Evan Stewart played lights out. 11 passes caught for 142 yards. But the big question here is what in the world is Jimbo and A&M going to do now? Because no matter who won this game, somebody's going to feel bad about it. Both of these teams were five and seven last year. Both of these teams don't like each other. And both of these teams desperately needed this win for their fan base and their booster class to believe, okay, cool, we're headed in the right direction. Mario Cristobal sealed that win. Jimbo Fisher, who hired Bobby Petrino to call plays, might actually do something, you know, about that, knowing what they did against Miami. I don't think he should. I'm just saying he might. Also in here, this is what A&M's got coming up next. They got Louisiana Monroe, which, you know, raises the banner. Because until AM had done it, they were the last unranked team to beat Alabama. But after they get Louisiana Monroe in the we unranked beat Alabama Spole sweepstakes, they get a gauntlet run, which is ridiculous. Arkansas, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee. AM better figure it out in a hurry. And I mean like tomorrow, because that is one hell of a schedule to go before you get a bye. Louisiana Monroe. Arkansas, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee. I don't want that. I don't want that. And I dare say neither do AM fans. All right, let's get to some quick hitters. Number 12, Utah survived against Baylor 20 to 13. Utah is still not great without Cam Rising. They can't get that dude back quick enough. Nate Johnson took over late after sitting behind Bryson Barnes most of the game. He was given a chance, right, to basically go out there and show he could get the job. Uh, Johnson had a 15-play, 88-yard drive that ended in a 7-yard keeper. 
with a touchdown that gave them a lead, 159 left to play. The Utes took their only lead, right, late in that game when Jalen Glover, excuse me, Jalen Glover had to go ahead TD in that game with 17 seconds left. I got ahead of myself in my own notes here. Point here is Baylor lost to Texas State last week, and they didn't have Blake Shapin this week. You did not expect, even without Cam Rising, for Baylor to be in this game for very long, and they really gave them chance, uh, themselves a chance to win it at the end. But Utah survived, and they get Weber State next week, where if you play Cam Rising, it's great, but that's the game where you probably get to sit the dude who's coming off the ACL injury, and then you get at it with your Pac-12 play, and you try to be that team that wins three Pac-12 championships this week. Also, dawns on me, or this year, excuse me, that Utah's trying to three-peat while Georgia's trying to three-peat. And there are levels to this, but both of those stories are very cool. Number 20, Ole Miss rallied to beat number 24, Tulane, 37 to 20. Without Michael Pratt, Tulane was very much in this game. Ole Miss outscored Tulane 27 to 3 in the second half. Again, great football game, and I loved watching it. But to know that Tulane was in this game late, or I should say late, in the first half without what many people thought was one of the best players in the sport, and certainly last week in Michael Pratt, says a lot about them and why you should probably be watching them as the dominant group of five team, maybe get that group of five New Year's Six Bowl berth again this year after beat, winning the Cotton Bowl against USC. Number 10, Notre Dame beat North Carolina State 45-24. to Notre Dame's 29th straight regular season win against an ACC opponent. It's almost like they should be an ACC member. It's almost like they should... Just join and play for an ACC championship. It's almost like Notre Dame should just stop this open marriage with the ACC and, you know, sign the contract. Hartman went 15-24 for 286, four TDs. He's number 10 all-time in passing TDs in NCAA history. He's got 120 now. He's played three games at Notre Dame. It's ridiculous. It's awesome. They get Central Michigan next week, and then the big one, Ohio State, Notre Dame ought to be a lot of fun. Iowa knocked off Iowa State 20 to 13 to win the Cyhawk trophy. Iowa got Kurt Ferentz's 200th win, which is really cool to see. Jason Patterson announced himself. Kate McNamara was ho hum 12 of 22, 123 with a pick. Iowa's offense generated yardage 235 yards against John Haycock's defense. John Haycock's defense is not an easy defense to beat. And frankly, that game was tight there for a little while, then 20 to 3, and then kind of came back together. What I think is most interesting about this is that Iowa still hasn't scored more than 24 points in either of its outings this year. And there's a clause in Brian Ferentz's contract that says, hey, you got to average 25 a game this year or you're not going to get paid the full contract. Wild. And I think they get, I got to go look this back up. So I'm not going to say this out loud, but I know the defense play lights out for Iowa against Iowa State. I'm only going to say, if you got to that 25, because you got to pick six here and there from your defense, that's fine. But you didn't. You got to 20 against Iowa State, and you got to 24 against Utah State. Somehow they're going to have to try to run it up next week against Western Michigan, try to get Brian Ferentz his money. Tomorrow on the show, we will react and recap. We'll react and react and recap Saturday as 
USC is playing Stanford. We'll talk a bit about Wisconsin and Washington State, more about Wisconsin than Washington State. We're also going to probably get into my rankings, which will go up later this evening. So if you're up late like me, look for those on the Fox Sports website. Again, ranking show Sunday afternoon. We're falling into a rhythm here. And please, if you are old or new to the podcast, go on Apple, go on Spotify, rate the podcast five stars. Sincerely, please. We would love for you to tell us what you like about the show and why it got a five-star rating from you. All right, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Cordaggi. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. That is Chaz technically directing us tonight. Niles Owens on the ones and twos. Our leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Tuan Westfall. My guy, Social Maven, Javion Duncan. I'm the host, RJ. We'll see y'all in, a, what, 20 hours? Deuces. <laughs>